0: Yeah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me here tonight. Uh, It has been a little while since I've been out to Cleveland. This is no longer Valley View. I know we're in Valley View, but this is officially Cleveland. You guys took over the whole region, so we're calling it Cleveland nowadays. It's awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, Man, what a great week. You guys turned turned summer on. You see, I got a little glow. I was down in Florida um, this past uh, Resurrection Easter holiday. We left. I was thinking... I was going to be able to post a whole bunch of pictures of me in the sun and on the beach and everybody here freezing, and and that's not what happened. Y'all had summer while we were having summer at the same time. I, I saw all the pictures coming up. I'm like, it's 80 degrees. Like It hit like 87 or something crazy. That's nuts, man. Well, I'm glad you guys had a good time. It was good. We had summer, we kept having summer though. It was good. It was it was like it was summer every day for a few days. We were blessed to be down there. My family and I enjoyed some downtime hanging out with Dr. Lewis and Tina Kayton down in Florida. Being with them was fantastic. So we had we had a lot of fun. But uh, you know, we had some travel time involved, and Dom was just talking about how he has three kids. We have three kids as well. We've got a couple of older ones, and uh, man, it was a it was a time. Traveling is never easy, but I heard this funny story while we were traveling, there was a, a couple of guys at a counter, and you know, you've been on in the flight, in, in the airports lately, and maybe probably forever it's been like this, but the, the one man, at the gentleman at the counter, he was berating the, the poor stu- uh, hostess at the counter, you know, he's yelling at her, ty- trying to find out why the flight's delayed, and going on and on and on, and she was so polite, she just kept answering his questions best she could, and was calming him down, so much so that he really couldn't yell at her anymore, there was nothing left for him to say, because she was just so nice, and so he just kind of this walked off, right? Well, the next guy came up and he just told the girl, he's like, Listen, you are so incredible. Just kept telling her how great she was, and you know, the the, the your people's skills are so good. Like your company's blessed to have you. I can't believe it. Like you you must be, you must be a Christian, right? She said, Well, you know, I do know the Lord. She's like, but here's how I like to handle things sometimes. I just smile and nod, give them the answers we need. And while that gentleman's on his way to Detroit, now his bags are on his way to Bangkok. So he's getting He's getting what he deserves, and uh, everybody's fine, so it's all good. <laughs> I thought that was a little funny funny travel story I'll share with you guys, but man, we had, we, we had a good time down in Florida. It was good. Um, well, listen, you know, I, I like knowing what my job is, and, and we'll get through this pretty quick here And I know it's a, a midweek. My son's here with me tonight, and as we walked out the door, my wife's like, listen, we have school tomorrow. Don't show up home at 10 o'clock. Like You got to get it done. So we'll move through here. But... You know, I I in my life I've always appreciated people sharing with me the 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 facts or kind of the details of what they expect of me, right? It makes things easy on you. When you tell me, hey, look, this is what I want from you, this is when I want it, this is how it's supposed to be done, great, thank you. I appreciate that. Now I can execute it, and if I have any questions, I'll ask you. How nice is it to know your role as a Christian? I assume, and now there may not be everybody in the room tonight, but on a Wednesday night out in Cleveland, Ohio, if you're in church tonight, I'm just guessing you've probably met the Lord before, and if you haven't, we'll get to that at some point here tonight for sure, without a doubt. But, but the, the thing is, is that I'm probably preaching a little bit to the choir, which is fine. But it's good as you go along in your walk with the Lord, how nice is it to know when God reveals things to you and you are able to identify what it is he's asking of you. Like, the confusion's taken out of the, the situation a little bit. That's what we want to do here tonight. I want to kind of express to you a little bit about what your role is, how to do your job, and then win at it or succeed at it. You know, the truth of the matter is is that within the church and around us, surrounding us in, in the world, there's a lot of disunity at the moment, right? It happens everywhere. But I wanted to talk to you guys about the church's job to be unified. It's so important. In fact, if you listen to Jesus, you read his word, his last testimony, his last message, if you will, his last prayer was that we would be unified that we would love one another the way he loves the church. That we would take on to one, with one another the way that he has taken on his love and passion for us. That was what was on his mind. Like, you know, I think about it in a kind of a funny way sometimes. I think to myself, like, if I was dying, you know, what would I be thinking about? What would be on my mind? It certainly wouldn't be my grocery list or what I'm going to wear or, you know, what happened before the day. And, you know, maybe the bickering of little fights I had in my life. It would be on the things that matter most to me, the things that are embedded into my heart. And here's Jesus just days away from dying, and the last thing that's on his mind, the thing that's embedded in his heart, is that we would love one another, yeah, yeah. that we would be a unified church, that we would treat one another with the kind of respect and love that he treated us. Yeah. He begged for that, he prayed for that, and that was his last message to us. So it's so important that we understand our role, that we, that we can identify that, and when we can walk in it. You know, unity is the soul of fellowship. It's the very essence, the core of how God desires his church to live. It was and is the hope of Jesus that you experience oneness, unity, and understanding amongst the brethren. In John 15, 16, and 17, this is what he says. Jesus' last message, his final prayer, rings out his heart that we would love one another above all else as Christ loves us. It was on the forefront of his mind that we would support one another and be unified under his banner. It goes on to say in John 17, I am praying for all who believe in me would be united as one just as you and I are one. That's the prayer Jesus left us with, that we would remain in unity the way that you and him are in unity. That's our job. That is what we are called to do as the church, to remain in unity at all costs, identifying and then purposefully executing the thing that matters most to Jesus. And on his dying day, that's what he told us. This is what matters most to me, that you would remain in unity. Why? Because he knows that when we're in unity, we're powerful. Yes. When people unite, they move mountains. When we're united as a church, we can change our region. We can take our state. We can, can, we can, we can turn our country, our world for Jesus. I've heard a lot of talk, and we've seen over the last couple of months uh, uh, revival in the land. We've seen it taking place at universities and colleges and people rising up and saying revival is here. Well, how does it happen? It starts in unity. Because when we're unified, we're powerful. We're able to make moves that affect regions, that affect people for Jesus in powerful ways. But it starts inside here. It starts inside these walls. Unity certainly equals power. Let me give you a a few things here, four in fact, of how we can get unified here tonight. Number one, it's to focus on the things that we share, not our differences. That's the first thing we got to do. We got to look around the room. We got to find out what is the one common denominator or two or three or four that we share. Because I see plenty of differences in the way I live my life, maybe the way you live your life, the way you look, the way you act, where you're from. There's all kinds of different people here tonight, right? Different races. There's women, there's men. Some of y'all come from the country. Some people coming from the city. Some of us grew up in the suburbs. Some of us are educated. Some of them have a little less education. We all have different backgrounds. We all come from different places. But the reality is, is that the one thing that combines and congeals all of us together here tonight is Jesus. It's the one thing that we can all hang our hat on and say, Look, there might be a lot of differences of understanding where we come from. I may not know where you grew up. I may not know where your grandma lives. But I know that Jesus living in you is the same Jesus that lives in me. And if we've got that, then man, we can make changes in our communities. We can make changes in our schools, in our workplaces, in our cities, in our nation. Romans 14:19 says this. It says, "Let us concentrate on the things which create harmony and the growth of our fellowship together." We've got to concentrate. What does it mean to concentrate? It means to con- it means to focus all of your efforts onto a single thing in order to accomplish the task you've got to concentrate your efforts on being unified it doesn't just happen by accident right my boys are seven and nine I love talking about them because they give me tons of analogies and they're at the age right now where they're sort of like I don't know I'll equate them to like a puppy they're they're like a six eight month old puppy right like they're they're old enough to kind of understand what's going on but they're young enough to just still like I gotta snap them back into reality I'm like hey I'm like, look at me. I need, I need your eyes and your ears at the same time, right, to know that you're hearing what I'm saying, like, you, you're, like you're looking at me, but I can see the glaze. It's not, it's not happening. So I'll, so I'll, hey, hey, right here, right here. Okay, okay, that's what I teach them. I'm like, what do we need to listen with? Our eyes and our ears. I'm like, give them to me. You got to concentrate on it. You got to make a concerted effort to understand, hey, God, I'm listening, not just with my ears, I'm listening with my eyes what's going on around me? What am I seeing? Am I empathizing with people? Am I recognizing what people are going through? Am I seeing the issues in their life that, that certainly affect me the same way? I got to understand they're going through some things and it may not be the same thing I'm going through, but man, they're, they're a human just like me. Let me understand a little bit more about what's happened. How, how can I understand better your situation? Because my goal is to ensure that every person I come in contact with knows Jesus, and if I'm in this building and I'm encountering you, we've got to get on the same page. And so if I'm, I'm, I'm making contact with you, I want to know what it is you're going through. I want to know what it is that you're dealing with so that I can make sure that when we leave this space, man, we're unified. We are making a concentrated effort to ensure that everybody we come in contact with is going to know the Jesus that me and you know that's going to experience the love, compassion, mercy, and grace that we've gotten the opportunity to experience. And unless I'm in contact with what you're doing, with what you're going through, with what you're feeling in your life, it makes it really difficult to come in here and then go out there and be unified and to make those changes, to to make the impacts on the world that we really want to make. You know, God loves uh, variety. As we look around in the room, you can see it There's so many different things going on in the room. There's so many different people coming from different places. He absolutely loves it. It's a part of our DNA, a part of his DNA to make up the way he did human beings to embrace the differences in one another. It's so important. Just the other day, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, and she was at my gym, and she was expressing to me uh, her concerns about her upcoming wedding. And I don't know if she knew I worked at a church or if I'm pastor at a church or whatever, but she started to talk to me. I think she did. And she was asking me about uh, the, the, the procedures that she has to go through in order to get the wedding at her church. And her and her husband are both Catholic. They have, their, and they're two different types of Catholic, and I don't know I don't know what's what, but all I know is there's a whole bunch of different types of all kind of stuff, right? There's, there's Baptists, and then there's Baptists, and then there's like Pentecostals, and there's Pentecostals, and there's, so there's like all the differences and all the things. Like Cleveland, Ohio is probably, Ohio in general is probably one of the biggest melting pots of all those things. Like you can go down a strip of, they're all Christian churches, but there's like a hundred different types of Christian churches. I'm like, all right, just whatever. I, you like Jesus, Are we loving Jesus, is that what we're doing? All right, I'm good. So, so she told me the story. She was so frustrated. She said, you know, my, my, my bishop has to approve uh, that I would, I think, marry this man or that I could have the wedding. I'm not sure. There's a whole bunch of layers, right? So it was like bishop had to approve something, then his bishop had to approve something. Once that was approved, then her priest had to approve it, then his priest had to approve it, and then the facility they were going to get married at had to be approved. So it was like all this going down the list of all these things that had to happen, and it wasn't looking like it was going to happen. She was very frustrated. I said, you are? Oh, I supposed to use your name." I said, listen, girl, I got you. I said, I got you. I want you to know I'll, I work at a church, and I just need to know one thing. Do you love Jesus? She said, like, yes, of course I, I love Jesus. Yes, we both do. We're Christians. Whatever. I'm like, I'll marry you. It's all good. She said, like, would you marry me? Really? I'm like, yes, I'll marry you. I'm like, in fact, I got four locations you can pick from. You can come to Lorraine. You can go to Avon Lake. You can go to you." You can, go, you can go all the way out to Wycliffe. I would pick Wycliffe. It's really pretty. It's got like a garden situation. Like you just go up on a hill and it's got this pretty white building. It's all, it's kind of the stereotypical church, but you want to go to. She's like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. And, and as we were laughing, she started to get a little bit choked up. And she's like, I'm so disappointed that, that I can't get married in my own church. I've been going there, like, you know, for a lot of years. And, and it's a special place to me, but it doesn't make any sense to me why I'd have to go through all these hoops. Just to get married. Like, I, you know, and she doesn't know what she doesn't know, and I don't either. So it wasn't, we were just kind of, you know, dumb, blind, leading the blind. I'm like, I don't know either, y'all. But I'm just telling you, like, look, what I do know is that, that you love Jesus. and I love the same Jesus. So, you know, what it is that you're trying to hop through and get through to get to where you want to be with your wedding. Like, look, I, I'm sorry that you're dealing with it. But, but what I can tell you is, is that, that we both, me and you and your husband, your, your fiance, let's concentrate on what we do know. Let's concentrate on the things that we share that bring us together, which is Jesus. And in that, the unity of your life, the marriage that you're about to experience is going to be the most beautiful thing you've ever had. And it's going to be powerful and it's going to be great and all these good things. And she's just, you know, crying and loving it. And and it was like, man, this is the moment where I understand a little bit more about the understanding of what Jesus was trying to say when he said, like, look, there's a lot going on in the world. A lot. Like right now, there's a lot going on. And I know every generation's got a story, right? Right. Like, I think if we, re- we round about 100 years and we said, man, this is the worst the world has ever been, they'd be like, hold on, time out. <laughs> time out. Let me explain to you what's going on back in 18-whatever. And then, you know, 16 and 13. It, it, it's just not, you know, all the stories are kind of being rewritten. But here's the thing that I know is that me and us and you, you all, we're, we're here living and breathing through what we're going through right now. And things are pretty wild, right? But, but the thing that brings us together, the things that joins us is the concentrated effort as a church, to seek out, pursue, and identify the thing that brings us together. And it's only one, is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me bring myself back up here. Uh, Every Tuesday, we have these meetings uh, at the church, and they've been really powerful. Pastor Troy has brought us all together. We get all the pastors together from all the campuses. We get back into the office, and they're not any really concentrated effort or time to uh, necessarily accomplish anything, but it's just a moment for us to kind of all get together, maybe discuss some things that are going on across the campus, or maybe ask questions and just confer with one another, bounce some ideas back and forth off one another. And, you know, one of these ideas came up from our Avon Lake campus, a young uh, woman or mother, uh, was talking to one of the pastors there, and she was really concerned. Um, her children, uh, who, who know the Lord, who have met God and, and have had a relationship at one time, just, they're not serving the Lord. We would we, we call them, they're just kind of, you know, they're just not, they're just, uh, they're dealing with it right now, right? So they're just not, they're not functioning in the, in the way that she would expect them to. And so their relationship with the Lord has kind of fallen off. But she's like really concerned about the idea, well, I need your affirmation, your confirmation that if they died, they'd go to heaven. And so she was almost asking us to, con- to confirm that for her. Like, hey, I need you to tell me. And if I was, a, if I was the, the mom, I'd want that too, right? Like, I want to know my babies are going to heaven, and I'm going to ask my pastor, like, hey, confirm that for me. Assure me. Reassure me, because I don't want that. I'm just desperate. I want to make sure they go to heaven. And, you know, in that conversation, we all kind of started going around and sharing, and you know, the idea of once saved, always saved comes up, right? And it's very controversial for people. And there's very clear, uh, identifiable uh, text that the Bible refers to when it talks about that. But, but, but what we understood as the conversation went on was that there's another layer to that that helps us to, to get a little bit deeper there. And, and in that conversation the woman was having with one of the pastors, you know, she, she began to desperately look for, uh, for her to, to confirm that. To, to just tell me this is happening. I want to be able to walk out of this room and know that, that they're going to heaven and I'm going to see them there. You know, I wish for that moment I could be there and I wanted to share with her. I'm like, look, you know, this is my input. I, I often find myself, you know, humbled, very humbled by the idea of being able to identify for people um, the questions, those large looming questions of eternity that we often have. And and if I was there with her, I think what I would have said to her was like, you know, what we need to do at this moment is probably take a step back. And I think if we pursued the presence of God for even just a brief moment, and we entered into the presence of God, and began to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to give us that reassurance that only he can really give. Because I can tell you what you want to hear. I can say what it is that you need to hear. And whether I'm right or wrong doesn't really matter to be honest I mean it does in the context of you know ensuring that I'm speaking biblical truth but what what doesn't matter is is my opinion M- my complete understanding of looking at the word of God and saying look I got a grasp on this so much so that I can tell you yes or no that's a really scary thought to me I've been to a lot of church services I've been to a lot of camp meetings I've been to a lot of seminars by the way uh what the, what's the gentleman's name Ken Roberts, man, that dude is legit. Like, I don't take notes from a lot of people. Oh, my gosh. I, I take notes from that gentleman, so get on that for sure. But, but, I, but I know in that moment that if, if we were able to enter into the presence of God, that she'd be able to hear directly from the Lord on understanding what it is that is the deepening and the love and affection that he has for her children and her, that nothing can separate them from his love. That at the end of the day, Jesus' prayer was that we would be unified, that there would be an opportunity for his love to overtake every single one of us. It's a beautiful moment when you enter into the presence of God. It's a reassurance. It's a concentration of pulling together our effort to remain unified with one another, to ensure that we all understand the full grace and mercy of Jesus. Ephesians 4 says this, There is only one body and one spirit, and we have been called to one hope, There is only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and only one God who is the Father of us all, who is over all, is through all, and is in all. Conflict is often a sign that you are focused on things that don't really matter, temporary problems. They often result in worldly attitudes, don't they? You know, I find it funny, like I... I've always thought of myself as either passive or aggressive. I'm not, I don't think I'm very much of a passive-aggressive person. Like, I'm usually very passive, or then I'm just very aggressive, like one of the two. I don't necessarily like to be passive-aggressive. I think it's weak. So, so I'm usually either passive or aggressive. But it's funny to me how, you know, when my temporary mind begins to think about things that don't really matter, worldly stuff, right? You know, the other day we were, we were at Chick-fil-A, we were pulling through, and we ordered a bunch of food my friend was with me and, and they didn't get the order right and he was so upset and I'm like bro listen you gotta stop like first off I don't care if you want to get all mad at the 16 year old that's making our chicken sandwich in the back or whatever I am like but you can't do that with me in the car because this is embarrassing to me he's like bro they messed up everything I'm like well, what do you expect to happen we are at a fast-food chain ordering food from a bunch of teenagers like they don't even want to be here like they're making they're being made to have a job You are expecting them to produce what it is you saw on a TV commercial to look and taste. Like, it's just like, why are your expectations so high? Just relax. It's not that big of a deal. We'll pull back around. We'll get more food. It doesn't even matter to me. But it's funny, right? Like we'll get, into these, we'll get into these heated moments of life about things that don't matter all the time. Like the guy at the counter yelling at this poor woman that has nothing to do with whether or not flights are coming in or leaving on time or if they got to have fuel. She didn't have anything to do with that. But we're just so ready to yell and scream and go crazy on people about things that they aren't even in control of. But it's, it's one of those moments where conflict often produce a worldly attitude if we're not keeping our mind on things that are of an eternal perspective. Because we're thinking short term, right? We're thinking about the things that are temporary. We're living in a world that's super temporary and it, it conflicts and, 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 and really blocks the opportunity for unification to take place in the church. And so if we're not careful... If we're not careful, we get stuck in a mode. We're in a constant, uh, we're in a constant mode of, of complaining and bickering and fighting and worried about whether or not the service went too long or the lights are on or this is happening over there. They set out the papers the way they were supposed to. Like, look, I get it. Order is there for a reason, and we got to have all that stuff, and it's important to make sure that it happens. But, but at the end of the day, I'm kind of an end-of-the-day guy. Like, if, if the presence of God is reached, like, that, that's the goal. If Jesus shows up in the building... That's what's happening. So like, I, I'm fine, we could talk about it, but that's a conversation for Tuesday, right? Like, well, Let's go over that at the staff meeting. We'll figure out what went wrong. But in the meantime, take all that, set it aside. Let's pursue Jesus together. You know, temporary issues often produce worldly attitudes. And so what we need to do is get our mind on the eternal. So focusing on the eternal and your, and instead of your temporary becomes a much more peaceful life. In Romans 14, 1, it says this, welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. They have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. Be gentle with people, man. We've all got some past, right? We all have some history that, you know, bring out. The things in our life or the attitudes of the life that we live, that's, that's just kind of the way it goes. And I don't, I don't know your trauma, but, but that often produces behavior, right? Like trauma or behavior is also often a result of the trauma that you've been through. Behavior doesn't just happen. It's, it's usually a defense mechanism because of things that you've gone through. So it's not always necessarily a reflection of the character of the person that you are, but instead of the issues that you've dealt with, oftentimes not even your fault, right? As children or young people, things that's when that those things happen, and you're you're dealing with now a behavior pattern that is that is a result of the trauma that you've experienced. You know, one of the things that we do at North Coast is Joshua Kids. I'm, I don't know if you guys are all familiar. We just did this a couple like last month, right? We sponsored children. We've been doing it for 30 years. It's a beautiful thing. If you meet some of these children, for goodness sakes, me, I'm one. <laughs> Uh, my children, we, they, we all got issues. My point is, is like, Joshua Kids is great. I, my mother, 30 years ago, helped start that, and uh, I would watch her meet with some of these children. We'd bring them to our home. We'd have the program here at the church. And, you know, the behavior patterns that a lot of them exhibited without parents at home, oftentimes missing meals, not having a bed to lay on, barely making it to school, ever. You know, they're dealing with trauma in their life, and so there would be an outward display of behavior that we would categorize as bad Right, or you know, mischievous or whatever you want to call it, delinquent. But the reality of the trauma in their life was producing behaviors that were a defense mechanism in order to save them. It's how they would react to the trauma that they're dealing with. And so it requires a unified church, a unified people to step in and say, Listen, I see the behavior and I don't recognize it as who you are, but what happened to you. And over and over again. The love of Jesus that comforts that child produces a dropping of the shoulders, a loosening of the chains that bind them. And it's the same thing for us because it doesn't really matter, you know, if you're, you're, you're a young person or you're, you know, you're a teenager. We all have our different stages in life, right? Like they're a little bit more difficult to deal with at certain ages. My 7- my and 9-year-old, they're great, but sometimes I'm like, oh, my goodness, guys. Like, just stop talking. Just be quiet. Everybody reminds me. They'll send me memes. My wife will send me memes like, one of these days you're going to wake up. And sh- I'm looking- this is me looking at the phone. And it's like a meme of like, one of these days you're going to wake up and they're going to be 30 and you're going to wish they were 7- and 9 again. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Like, some other people might. I am not. This is- they're ridiculous. You know, and then I got a, teen- I got a 17-year-old at home. She's great. So great. So great. Sometimes. So like it's just, you know, you got all, and it's not just young people, because listen, all you 30, 40 year olds, 50 year olds that think you know everything, because you're like, you know, all the old grumpy people. We all got stages of life we need to deal with, right? We're always we always dealing with these issues that we got. But we're a work in progress. It never really ends. There's a a powerful woman. It's Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife. You know, in 2007, she passed away, and this is what was written on her headstone. It says, end of construction, June 14th, 2007. Thank you for your patience. That's crazy. That's crazy to me that, that that woman, I don't know a lot about her. I do know she was a mighty woman of God and had some profound thoughts and was able to share the gospel for many, many years. Very powerful woman. But that's what she chose to put on her headstone. End of construction. June 14, 2007, I thank you for your patience. Man, she died an old woman. And understanding that, man, it took a lifetime of construction for God to continue to work on her. And thank you for being patient. Thank you for being patient with me. I'm standing up here 40 years later being at church on the North Coast. Thanks for being patient. (laughs) I've been running these halls for a long time, making a lot of mistakes in front of a lot of people that know me since I was down here. Thanks for being patient with me. Thank God for a church that's patient with us. That we have a place we can continue to come back to even after we've been acting like a fool and we know it. We've done it in front of other people. My goodness. How many times have you been the guy on the counter at the, at the, at the airline <laughs> yelling at some poor woman up behind the counter? And you turn around and somebody, you know, like, oh, hey, sorry about that. I had a really bad day today. This is my normal thing. That's not normally how I act. Like, I know it's not. It's okay. It's no big deal. I'm not going to tell anybody. You know, we'll see. We got to be patient with one another. In 1 Corinthians, it says this, let there be real harmony so there are no divisions in the church. I plead with you. I plead with you, he wrote, with you to be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Man, it's powerful. Let's keep on to number two. We got to get moving here. Number two, realize I must continually work at unity. We have to make every effort And uh, this is Ephesians 4 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Bind yourselves together by living in peace with each other. It's intentional. By binding ourselves, is what the scripture says binding yourself together by living in peace with each other. Unity only happens when you're intentional about understanding other people. It's a concentrated effort, it's an absolutely concentrated effort to live in unity. It doesn't just happen. You can be conscious about it. It's okay. Like, I think oftentimes people confuse the idea of trying to be conscious about something as trying too hard. Like, look, if you're not trying, <laughs> if you're not trying, you're not gonna get there. That's just the way it's gonna be. I mean, some of us are naturally gifted in some areas, right? Like, you're just born that way. It's the juice Jesus dropped in. You just have it. You just got it. But there are other areas in your life that you gotta work on it, you gotta concentrate. That's why you can have somebody who can be an incredible wife, but they can be a horrible sister. Like, how? You're a good person here, but you're a horrible person there, right? Like, you can be an incredible worker. You can be an incredible employee, but then you're just a terrible parent. How's that work? Because you do all the things you're expected to do here. You're, you're great at work. You're friends with everybody. You're a good team player. You go home, and, like, you're just a punk to your kids. Like, you don't, you don't treat them well. You don't, you don't help them with anything. How does that take place? Well, what are you concentrating on? What are you working on? The truth of the matter is, is if you want to be good at something, you got to work at it. That's just no other way around it. That's just a human reality. Like if I'm good at something, and trust me when I tell you, like if I'm doing good at something, it's because I work for it. There are very little things in my life that I can just do without trying. So if I can do it, then you can do it. That's the human story. If one of us can do it, that's how records always get broken. You know, know, I don't know what the distance for the mile was, but I've heard the story over and over again. It was like stuck at like eight, nine minutes for a long, long time. Then somebody broke it. It was like never would happen. This would never happen. It got broke. And then a week later, it got broke. A week later, it got broke. A week later, it got broke. Because once we break through that ceiling, we recognize in us the other person's ability to do something means that I can do that. If you can do it, I can do it. But you got to concentrate on it. So here's a few things you don't want to do, right? Those are two things we want to do. Here's two th- there's a couple things we do not want to do these things. Don't get confused. We do not want to do these things. Don't bring worldly values into the church. Don't bring the worldly values into the church. Like, it's not a recording system. So I, you know, I, I'm fine with people calling me Pastor Lou. It still throws me off. It's really weird. It's strange to me. Um, it just is what it is, and I'm fine with it. But, but Lou Louis is fine with me. I, that's my, that's my name. It's a powerful name. You know what it means? It means famous warrior. So you adding pastor to it doesn't mean all that much to me. I get it. I'm fine. I mean, from a title perspective, like, you know, we all have to have those. We want that because it's just, it's just the way order goes and whatever. Fine. But Lou is a good name for me. I'll take it. It's powerful. And, And, you know, we bring those kind of ideas into the church, whether it's titles or it's positioning or it's, you know, pomp and circumstance, whatever it is, like, fine, you want to have that, you want to wear your name tag, do your thing. I, it's all fine, it's all good, but just recognize that that doesn't mean anything on the scale of, 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 of where Jesus is trying to take us, right, of the unity of the church. It, it doesn't take us anywhere further than what he's already taken us. Let's just move on past that. <laughs> I won't step on anybody's toes. It is what it is. <laughs> it's not a big deal. First Corinthians 3 says this, you're acting the same way unbelievers act in the world. The proof of your immaturity. That's what it's saying. You're proving your immaturity when we're bringing worldly value systems into the world. And it's easy to identify, right? Like, I want the first mic. I got to stand over here. I want to be this. I have to have that. I got to go over here. Oh, well, that's supposed to be my seat. I sit here every single week. Like, nobody cares, man. Last, this past week, this past week, this bad there sitting over there. Look at all, look at all the reserve signs. Who are those reserve for? Like, I mean, it's fine, but for who? Like, I'm, like, get here early and then you can sit there. Like, I get it. Like, I'm preaching, right? So, like, I need to be somewhere near the front just because it makes more sense, you know? But, but other than that, like, I, well, who are we reserving those seats for? Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's whatever. It's, 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 it's a construct. It's a man-made construct. Like we have to have that role reserved with these things for those people. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. It's all good. Don't get sucked into it, all right? Just don't get sucked into it. Here, here let me just pick on this one a little bit more. Don't, don't get sucked into this. Don't get sucked into the world's issues. That's a really tough one to deal with, right? You know, I talked about it earlier. Every generation has their, their things going on. And I know every generation would argue theirs was the hardest to deal with. But what we're dealing with right now is really tough. There's lots of things out there that are going on that make me want to get involved, right? And, and, and so we should. But what should we be involved? How should we be involved? What should we be doing? What should we be communicating? The, the argument isn't really much of an argument to me. If, if you're a believer and we're in here and we're teaching, we're preaching, and we're telling you what to do with that, what you should be doing is making a concerted effort to ensure that every person you run into knows the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they know that there's a third way, that there's man's way, there's their way, right? There's, there's Jesus. There's another way to go about what it is that you're going through and how to fix these things. There's Jesus. It's absolutely supernatural. It's miraculous. There ain't no legislation that's going re, to reverse hate. It just ain't going to happen. You can't legislate love. I don't care how many laws you put out there to put this in place, put that into place. It ain't changing anybody's heart. Only Jesus can do that. That's what he died for. So our job is to identify that and ensure that the worldly value systems, the worldly issues that are taking place around us, we're not getting involved in a way that brings more heat to the fire. We want to go out there and provide the the solution. The solution is this, is Jesus. How do we communicate it? How do we get there? We got to be unified. It's the only way it takes place. Jesus said this. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, then my servants would fight. That's a that's a that's a really powerful scripture. It's a one-sentencer, but listen to it. Jesus said this my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would fight. I don't know who you are, but I'm a servant of Jesus. And the first half of that, he just said, My kingdom is not here. It's not of this world. If it were, me, a servant, would fight. Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not fighting what he's not fighting. Yeah. Right? All right. right. Second Timothy says this, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. The Lord's servant must never quarrel. Instead, you must be kind to every, everyone, able to teach and patient with everyone. You must be humble, gently teaching those who oppose the truth. Amen. Man, how you say it matters, right? Your body language, the position of your hands, your approach, it makes so much difference. There's oftentimes not what's said, but how it's said that makes the biggest difference in the room. You know, you come up to me with your hip kicked out to the side and your hand on it and your neck <laughs> bent over. Like, I'm all right. it, you might as well just stop talking. Like, it, there's an invisible wall. I'm going to stand there. I'm going to take it. I know how to be respectful. But then I'm going to walk away. I'm not I wouldn't not hear one thing you said. How you approach me matters. How I approach you matter. How we approach someone matters. The tone of our voice, right? The empathy in our eyes. The compassion in my walk when I come towards you. You know, that shift, like, listen, I'm out. You're coming at me that quick. I'm running. (laughs) Let's, Let's keep going. Number three, it says, be realistic in your expectations. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. In Ephesians, it says, Well, man, I'll tell you what, there's a newsflash out here for you. None of y'all are perfect. I'm not perfect. Unless, of course, tonight you are here with your wife. And if you are, feel free to look at her and tell her she's perfect, and then we can move on. (laughs) It's important. Just giving you a bailout. But the rest of us, none of y'all are perfect. It's just the way it is. It's the way it goes. We have to embrace one another's imperfections and and, and accept us for our shortcomings. It's just the way it's going to be. Expect it. You know, I'm not telling you to lower your standards, right? But when I go out to eat with my wife or my family or wherever we're going, like, I, I, I want, you know, I want good service and I want the food to be good. But, like, I, I'm just not. I don't, I don't know if it's ever happened. I don't, we've ever been together when it's happened. I don't think so. And it's not a bragging point. I'll just rather never go back. Like, if my food comes out bad and it's horrible and ridiculous, I'm just going to give it back to you. We're going to say bye. We're going to leave. You know, we'll stay there. I'll pretend like everything's fine. I'm going to go home and we'll complain about it at home. And I'm never going back to that restaurant, Ever. I just won't turn it back. Like, my, my expectations for that are low. And here's, here's, here's the reason why. Not because I'm trying to be cynical or, or whatever. I mean, you got to get what you pay for. I get all that. But at the end of the day, like, that's just a temporary concern to me. I'm blessed. I, 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 it's not going to break me. Like, that, that, that dinner situation going bad because the chef in the back didn't make it or the server did something dumb or whatever happened. Like, I don't, I'm just, it's just not worth it for me to berate that person to create an atmosphere where they might miss the opportunity to meet Jesus. It's just not worth it. It's not worth it. Because here's the thing, my, 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 most of the time, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm over here preaching, it's easy for me to say all these things. I lose my temper all the time. But, but in my best day, on my best day, my, 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 my spirit's already in check before I even go. Like, I'm going out, and that's fine. We're going to have a good time. And you know why it's going to be a good time? It's not going to be because my steak was cooked properly or bad. It's not going to be because they refilled my water glass every time it got halfway full. It's not going to be because the girl smiled at me when we first walked in the door and said, how can I seat you, Mr. And I said, I don't care about all that. I mean, it's nice. I, and I tip well when people do that kind of stuff. But then I tip you flat like 20. Like, if you're not good, like, you're not getting any extras. But if you're good, I'll give you more, right? But, like, but, it, but, it, but my expectations of, of that are low. And here's the thing, because my, my perspective is eternal. I, I, don't, I don't care about the temporary. All that stuff's temporary. Like, my night's going to be good because I'm going to a place where I can afford I can pay for somebody else to cook for me, Amen. to serve me, to spend time with my family. I'm going to get back into my nice car and go back to my home where I got a bed, a ridiculously priced bed we fight about all the time. Is new. Like, right? I got a bed. I got a nice home. I got a family. I got, I got clothes to put on. I got a job to go to tomorrow. I got food in my refrigerator. Like, their ability to cook my food well or serve or smile at me, I can't allow that to be the thing that separates the opportunity for them to meet Jesus because I wanted to make sure that they know, that you did a bad job at what you're doing. Like, bro, that's crazy. Have you ever worked in a restaurant? It's hard. It's hard work. I did it for like two weeks. Was gone. I'm like, this is ridiculous. It's a very, very difficult job. Mad props to all the service industry people out there. It's not easy. Well, good news, though, I want to tell you something. You don't have to be uh, uh, perfect to be a healthy person. You know, perfection isn't the thing that Jesus is looking for. And whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, I'm telling you tonight, you don't have to be perfect to be healthy. God doesn't need you to be perfect. What he needs you to do is be unified. What he's asked us to do is become under his identification of what's most important to him. To concentrate, to make a concerted effort. To ensure that everybody that comes in contact with you knows him, meets him, has the opportunity to experience his presence. Despite your imperfection, Jesus loves you passionately. In 1 Peter it says, love each other as if life depended on it. Love makes up for practically anything. For anything. Man, that's good to know. Because there's a lot of unhealthy parts about me. And I know there's a lot of unhealthy parts about y'all. But man, when God's love makes up for all those imperfections, it makes it a whole lot easy for me to rest at night. It makes it a whole lot easy for me to maintain my perspective on the eternal. Suddenly all those passing things, they just become, they're mundane. They're not that big of a deal. I don't have to get angry at somebody because they did something silly. I mean, to be honest with you, I just kind of expect it. I see it now more as an opportunity to bless you for being ridiculous. Because I want to ensure that despite your imperfection, you know that somebody out there believes in what they say they believe in. Somebody out there that reads the Bible actually practices it. So when when 1 Peter 4 says, love each other as if your life depended on it, and that love makes up for practically anything, you feel it. You see it. You've tasted it. Because of me. Because of you. So when we walk out of the building tonight, unified, we walk into the, to the, to the place we're going to go eat or we walk back into our home with our loved ones that maybe doesn't, don't know Jesus, we get to work tomorrow morning, are we going to be the church that's unified, that identifies, man, that's one of them people, that's one of those gals, one of those guys that really knows Jesus, where do they go to church? Man, church on the north coast, I want to go check that place out, or, well, is it just the opposite, I don't even want to talk about that story, it's just the opposite of that, Number four, the final one, it says, offer encouragement instead of criticism. Let's use all of our energy in getting along with each other. Help each other by using encouraging words. Don't drag others down by finding fault. That's in Romans. Man, that's so powerful. I I love that about, you know, so many people I've grown up with. North Coast is such a loving place. You ever read any of our reviews? Most of them include, like, man, when I walked in the building, it made me feel like family. They complimented me, told me how good I looked, how nice my hair was, how cool my shoes were. That's a great thing, but that's a concentrated effort. Like in the morning, you have a little motivational speeches, Everybody right? got the little little tags on their, on their mirror, say something like positive today, I don't know, whatever they have on there, positive affirmations. Like don't, don't, don't just be positive with yourself. Remind yourself, like the first person you come in contact with today, what are you going to tell them about themselves that's great? Yeah. It's not hard. Oh my gosh, I love your blouse, it's so pretty. Man, what a sweater, I wish I had shoes like those. Your hair is looking good today. Sorry, God. (laughs) A wise, mature person is known for his understanding. The more pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. Man, I'm trying to persuade people for Jesus. I I want to persuade people that there's a God out there that loves them with all of his heart. I want to be that guy. You want to be that woman. You want to be the person that persuades people, that help them understand, like, man, that, this person clearly knows something I don't. How is it every time I come in contact with them, they got something nice to say, they got something positive to say. Like, even when they talk, they can't help, they can't help but say sorry about the thing they said it, was, it wasn't even that negative. Like, if you heard my guys I work with, like, I want to be that person. But it takes a concerted effort, it takes a practice, it takes a concentration. Oh, I like this saying. It says, you're never persuasive if you're abrasive. You can't be persuasive when you're abrasive, right? So come out hot with something nice to say about somebody and see how those walls come down. We're going to wrap up here. Galatians 5.13 says, you've been called to live in freedom. Not freedom to indulge in selfish nature, but freedom to serve each other in love. God's entire law. This is it right here. God's entire law is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. You can put a period on it and end right there, man. You know? It's like when you talk for a living, you hear yourself talk. I was actually watching one of the messages the other day, and I'm like, man, this is rough. It's so rough to hear yourself talk thinking about all the things you, you think you know. <laughs> I think oftentimes to myself, like, I could probably just stand up here and repeat the name of Jesus for 30 straight minutes, and it would probably be better. Like, just usher in the presence of Jesus, have Dion play behind me for 30 straight minutes and just say his name over and over and over again. It'd be the best message I ever preached. It says, but you keep biting and devouring each other and tearing each other apart. You will be destroyed by each other. You know, I like to call that, I call that cannibal Christianity. We start eating one another. We start biting on one another, chewing on one another, griping and complaining and judging. and You know, you want to get to know somebody, go hang out with them. You know, you got to find out where somebody's grandma stays, where, where they eat at. Where do they hang out at? I talk about it all the time to people. They'll often say to me, like, well, man, you guys, this church is so, it's so diverse, and there's all these different cultures there and all these different races. I'm like, it's great, but it's a concentrated effort. <laughs> it's, it doesn't just happen. Like, we make an effort at it. You know, like, you, you, you don't, like, well, I've never been to church like that. I'm like, because well, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean, but church, not, it's not trying. You, you're not, you're not going to get what it is you're looking for unless you're working towards it. It just has, it has to be a concentrated effort, a very pointed one. You want to see your, your children's life change? You're going to have to work at it hard, hard. And then keep on working at it, getting knocked down, getting back up. You want to see your homies get, get, get Jesus? You got to work at it. That means you got to work on your life, right? You, you got to put in yourself that, that every single day I'm going to wake up, I'm going to, I'm going to be the mature person, I'm going to make a concentrated effort, I'm going to ensure that they see Jesus. I'm not going to complain when I go to a fast food joint and they make my food wrong. Not because they don't deserve it, but because I know him sitting next to me. If they see that coming out of me, then, 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 then what happens, right? Now they're missing another opportunity. Now I got to say sorry again. That's my bad. That's not really the character that's in me. Like, I know, but that's what I see. You, you're just like me. No, I'm not like you. Well, you act like me. <laughs> Come on, let's stand up on our feet tonight. I got just one more scripture I want to share with you guys. It's in 1 Peter 3. It says, let me sum it up for all of you. Live in harmony with each other. Be sympathetic. Be sympathetic. You know what that means? Understand people's problems. Understand them. You know, my dad says it like this. Dr. Kennedy says, I don't need you to hear me. I need you to feel me. Like, I know we're all listening. We often are. But by the way things are going... I don't know if everybody's feeling it. Pastor Glenn, you remember a conversation we had about a, two years ago? You don't hear me. Elbow him. You remember a conversation we had about two years ago? We had a conversation about two years ago, man. I, I picked up the phone and I called. And it was just a time in our nation. It was, people were going crazy. The world was on fire. I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how I'm supposed to act, how I'm supposed to react. I never had to deal with something like this before. He went on to share a story with me about his family. It broke my heart. But, but it, it, it did something in me. It gave me an opportunity to sympathize on a level that I've never, never had before. And I didn't even, I thought I knew. But it's so important that that we connect with one another. In in here, in here, like I know we're going to go out of here and we need to keep on preaching the gospel, but in here, this 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 is a church preaching to the choir message tonight. It's so important that we recognize and understand people's stories. Knowing where they came from. Knowing what they've gone through. Know what they're going through. Because it's it's in those moments that revival happens. Suddenly, suddenly the thing that I thought divided us is the thing that, that actually connected us. It brought us together. And now suddenly, I'm not just one, I'm two. And then there's another one over here, I'm three, and then I'm four, and then I'm five, and I'm six, and I'm seven, and I'm a dozen. And then I'm a thousand. It makes it really hard for somebody to stand up to somebody when I come a thousand deep. What are you going to say now? Nothing. You're not. You're going to listen. Then you're going to say, well, how did you do that? How did you guys all get together? You all look so different. You come from different places. You act different. You talk different. Yeah, but we, we got one common denominator. It's Jesus. And we all found him at different places at different times and in different circumstances. But then we came together. We shared our stories. And now we're unified. And we're going to take our city. We're going to take our families. We're going to take our schools and our workplaces, our communities, our states, and our countries. That's how that works. It's how it always works. It's how it's always worked. So as much as the evil that's being rewritten and being retold again, guess what? The same is for Jesus is going to come through and he's going to win. He's going to come back and he's going to do his thing again. He's a restorer. He's the fulfiller of promises. He's the way maker. He's the healer. He's the everything. But he required the unified church. He begged you for it. Love each other as family. Be compassionate. Have compassion and be humble. Alright, I want to ask you guys to do one thing before we go. We we'll have to kind of like stretch out. I want to go across the aisles. Y'all come over here. Everybody come over here. We're going to pray before we go, but I thought it would be really symbolic and I think really important for us to lock arms. Can you do that? Can you just find your neighbor? Just, just put your hand inside their elbow and lock arms real quick. Look at that. That's a whole, that's a whole different vibe. We always pray at the end of service. And we always do that, but, but man, when, when I'm in a lock with somebody, it, it's a whole different level of intimacy now, right? I kind of can smell you a little bit. I can feel you a little bit. <laughs> Y'all smell good. It's good. It's fine. You're coming straight from work. Everybody's, everybody's good. But we're unified now. We're unified. But we got to go another step further. We can't just be unified physically. We got to be unified mentally. We got to be unified emotionally. We got to be unified spiritually. It requires conversations sometimes hard ones. It requires participation, concentration, a concerted effort every single morning to wake up and say, all right, what am I going to do today that ensures the gospel of Jesus, the love of Jesus is communicated to everybody that I come in contact with? Because, man, I'm telling you what, if this flight don't show up on time, I might lose it. But I can't because that might be the moment that makes the difference in eternity for that person's life. So no matter what happens today, God, I'm going to walk out this door, I'm going to represent you. I'm going to ensure that I am the one. That when they see me, they see you. When they see the you and me, God, their life will never be the same. Father, tonight we bless you. Thank you, God, for having compassion on us. For showing us what it means and how to be humble. How to be sympathetic to one another. To walk in empathy. Understanding, acceptance, mercy, and grace. God, let us be a church that lives like you lived. That talks like you talked. that disregards the preconceived notions of I can accept you but first we gotta fix you no we'll accept you and we'll let Jesus fix you God tonight we walk out of here unified Not just with one another, but with you, God. Allowing the Jesus in us to come out so that we're talking differently, we're walking differently, we're acting differently. We're living with compassion and love for one another. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, listen, before we go, I want to do this. Yeah, it's awesome. My pastors and, and altar ministers uh, if, if you would come to the front it's really important I think as a church body we, we take the opportunity to ensure that before we leave here whether you've met Jesus many times before you've never met him tonight whether you need to talk to him again tonight or you just need prayer, you have some things going on in your life that, that require a little, extra, a little extra help maybe just a shoulder to cry on these folks up here they know Jesus they live Jesus They're the the embodiment of, and they will hold you and pray for you and comfort you and ensure that before you leave here, you have an experience with your Father. So tonight I invite you to come on up, pray with them. Be blessed tonight. We're back here on Sunday. Hopefully I'll get to see you guys soon. Live right. Love everybody. Pray hard. Have a great night.